Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Greetings, humans! Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 195. Say, person, are you going to San Diego Comic-Con this year? So are we! There's going to be a lot of fun Nerdist stuff going on down there. Uh, Probably most prominently, a Nerdist Podcast Live has just been announced at the Balboa Theater Friday, July 13th. Tickets are now on sale, uh, but they are going fast. So go to Nerdist.com slash calendar and you can get tickets. Come see us. We're going to have special guests. I promise there will be fun special guests at the Bubble Theater. It's a big theater, <laughs> so get tickets now, please. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, though. San Diego Comic-Con is... I mean, the, the shows that we've done at Comic-Cons in the past have been mind-blowingly amazing. Last year, we had uh, the cast of Doctor Who. Well, actually, we just we had Matt and Karen. Um, and who knows who will be there this year, but it'll be someone fun. So, uh, again, tickets for that, Nerdist.com slash calendar. I would like to thank Amazon for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. All you have to do to support uh, the Nerdist Podcast via purchases is go to this episode's page, click on the Amazon banner, and then you just shop the way you normally would. That's it. That is literally all you have to do. It's, It's that simple. Or you could drive a truck of gold to us and then not click through would be another option I, you know the truth is I probably wouldn't take the gold though I'd feel bad you should keep your gold it's a precious metal for shit's sake this episode of the podcast our old buddy Penn Gillette who has come back six months later to come on and hang out uh, I love Penn he is a great guy super fun to talk to amazing stories uh, he has some really great Dean Martin stories uh, in this episode of the podcast so it was just a fun hang so here we go, the Nerdist Podcast number 195, Pendulette. Now entering Nerdist.com. <laughs> hey, you 
piece of shit. No, 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 not you, Chris. Says. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Although that was good, but right off the top of Thank head. you, yeah. It was yeah. like rickles. I was really <laughs> reaching down. Hey, you there with the shirt. Call me a hockey <laughs> Hey, you with the shoes. Oh, it's yeah, I have shoes. Yeah. He's talking about me. Those shoes are dumb. Honey, isn't this great? <laughs> He's talking about we me. We paid $60 for this. Uh, Pendulet is How back. How's steak? Uh, you, you, uh, tell me about... Uh, is the show started? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happened just like that? That was it, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's my magic. <laughs> it's very good. Seamless, very good. Seamless transition. One moment I was talking, and then the next moment I was talking. <laughs> Your podcast it. actually starts. <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast. There you go. That's hey, good. Sure. Nice. Uh, you, mu- you must have seen some legendary shows in Vegas. Really? Right? Have you not? Do you, uh, yeah. do you, do you go see uh, shows there? I went to see, when I first came to Vegas, you know, the big shift in Vegas. Everybody talks about, you know, mob to corporate. And <laughs> right. the best thing said to me about, thing, really. about Vegas, which I loved, was when I first, uh, I guess I was just visiting. I wasn't even working there, like in the 80s, way back. I get in a cab, and the cab driver was explaining to me what Vegas is. <laughs> and he said, you know, Vegas used to be really classy, and then Elvis came and brought all the hicks with him. <laughs> <laughs> brought all the hicks. Brought all the hicks with them. So it went from the sort of Bugsy Siegel. Well, you know, the Rat Pack. Let's do it. Let's keep it all entertainment. Yeah, right. It went from the Rat Pack to, you know, guys doing uh, uh, George Burns impersonations. You right, know? right. And I'm sorry, Danny people... Gans. Rest in peace. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had a discussion with a, uh, with, a, uh, with a writer in Vegas. We were having this big discussion. And we were arguing over the worst show in Vegas. Uh-huh. And uh, he was contending Danny Gans, yeah, and right. I was contending another show, which I will not mention. Okay. And we were talking about, you know, how you weigh art, the criteria for art. And uh, what I weigh all art by is the balance, or actually the, 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 the cumulative of skill and crazy. Mm-hmm. You want 100% skill and 100% crazy. Okay. Or say that any way you want. You know, you want skill and you want passion. Right. But any way you want to break it down. So you have a handful of people at any given time who um, have tremendous skill and tremendous passion. Bob Dylan, Miles Davis, Picasso, Stravinsky, aren't a lot of them. Right. right. You can, you know, and I, I said in our lifetime that I named mostly people who were dead. Right. Uh, but uh, Bob Dylan <laughs> okay. is alive. And when you go see Bob Dylan... At the end of the show, what you want to do is write a play, you want to put out an album, you want to write poetry, you want to do everything, because he's so good, he inspires you. He makes you think you're good, too. He makes you think life is good. And then there are the people that are really, really skilled, but lack passion. And you go, well, that's okay. They're a little cynical. They do the same stuff all the time. But boy, they practiced a lot. You know, and they're really good. You know, and I make the guitar gesture because I don't want to mention any Van Halen. Sure. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but you know, they're really really good, but they're not crazy. There's not this. Then you have the people that are just crazy. Yeah. And have no skill at all. David Allen Coe. Okay. Have you seen the country guy, David Allen Coe. I've heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Crazier than a shit house rat. No skills. I'll go anywhere to see him. Okay. He's that good a performer. And then you have people that are varying degrees of that kind of stuff. Right. When you go to a show, you're trying to see passion and skill just fully blown out there. What you never see is a complete lack of skill and a complete lack of passion. Someone who's cynical and can't do anything. It's very, very rare. 
because people that have no skill and still get on stage should have some passion for yeah. performing well, to the what, audience. That's what internet comment threads are for. People exactly, are... exactly, exactly. <laughs> so there is an act in Vegas, that the, the name of which I will not say, but the description has already made it clear, that is someone who lacks all skill yes. and lacks all passion. Okay. Comes out sneering and uh, 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 contemptuous of his audience mm -hmm. and of himself and can't do anything. Okay. And has a long run in Vegas. Then there's Danny Gans, who is also condescending, uh, contemptuous, and no skill. Also only famous in Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My dad, though, loved, loved him. We went in the 90s. Did you hear the bowling joke? Well, <laughs> did he have a bowling joke? He, he was my dad. It was something my, how, how you pick up a hooker with three fingers, something uh, like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, I think it was. You know, my my dad. My dad represent. I love him to death, but his sort of artistic appreciation sensibilities are mainstream America. Your dad is America. He is America, and so you know, like in the nineties, he was like. I mean, like my dad was the guy that that said I would I should watch blue collar comedy because I would love it because I'm from the south. He also wanted me to see Danny Gans. He was like, this guy, he sings, he dances, he does impressions, he does it all. What what bothers the list of things that bothered me about Danny Gans and what I think is I always hate it. I just want to go on the record as I. It's, genuinely disliced him. I don't know why. I don't know him. Never good. met him personally. It's very good to speak ill of the dead because they won't mess with you. Yeah, they're not going to fuck with me. <laughs> We're safe. Um, he would do now when you see Gilbert Gottfried, who's mm -hmm. who is the best of us. You know, he's 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 the he's the funniest man alive and uh, absolute genius. Mm -hmm. When you see Gilbert, he does an impression. There's something he brings to the impression. Besides doing them dead on and perfectly accurate. Right. He'll give you Groucho and the year of Groucho. Yes, you know? he does. He, he will do 56, 57, 58 Groucho. 72 40, Groucho. 50, yeah, he'll do all of them. He'll do all, and he, he does them all perfectly. He always brings something conceptual to the impersonation. It's not just, I broke down in Hollywood, and who comes to help me? <laughs> oh, it's Jack Nicholson. Right. Hey, here's Johnny. Right. You know, not, not one of those things. He actually brings something. He does brilliant stuff, like, you know, Bob Dylan and Floyd the Barber from Mayberry RFD All right. doing Who's On First. Okay. There you get a lot. That's you know? a concept. Uh, and you've got, he, he will do, you know, he'll do uh, George and Ringo doing Who's On First. He'll do Jerry Lewis with, you know, always bring something to it. Danny Gans would do pieces of the person's act that he was doing an impersonation mm. of. So it was actually part of George Burns' act that he would just do. It was almost <laughs> like it was a mashup, but with less artistic. So we're arguing. And he's saying that Danny Gans, we're talking about this art thing. Sure. That what you're going for, for perfect art, is 100% passion, crazy, bravery, and 100% skill. Mm -hmm. And then we were saying, for the other side of that, for the worst act possible, you want cynicism, contempt, coupled with not able to do anything. <laughs> and he brought up uh, Danny Gans. And I said, yes, 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 Danny Gans was awful. And um, homophobic and, and sexist and um, unpleasant racial stuff. Mm -hmm. And had no skill. <laughs> but my guy is worse. Right. <laughs> and we spent, uh, we were at, uh, uh, what's that place? Capriotti's, where they have the big yeah. pastrami sandwiches. Okay. And through a whole big pastrami sandwich, um, we argued about this. And then he called me at nine the next morning and said, you win your act is the worst in Vegas. And I said, what happened? He said, Danny Gans died last night. <laughs> oh I said, last night? He said, yes. 
So now you win hands down. <laughs> we have no arguments. We're now the best of friends. And this is what's so great about this. There's a great punchline to this. At the time, he was um, in a relationship having sex with a, uh, a woman who acts in uh, pornographic films. Mm-hmm. That was their re- He was a writer in uh, Vegas, and he was, he was with this woman. And um, their breakup was happening <laughs> because... He was he was and is an atheist. Okay, mm-hmm. and she was spiritual. Okay, so there's you can chart, you can chart, you can actually draw this out in a graph. You can start when you are sleeping with a pornographic actress and you are having sex with her. How long before spirituality is a topic of discussion? <laughs> you can just you can draw that graph, right? Because you've done there are. Ten sex acts that if you're a writer in Vegas, you've never done. Sure. That she does on a daily basis. Right. So you do one of those, you figure he's 30 years old, maybe twice a day. Okay. Right. You know, under 30, you have sex as often as you eat, Mm -hmm. then it tapers off from there. Sure. So you got 10 sex acts he wants to do, you know. Um, You know, you want to go down there. You know, the one that doesn't mean automatic teller machine. Mm -hmm. You want to do all of those. (laughs) You just want to go boom. You want to just make an ass to mouth reference. Yeah. Well, see, whenever whenever anybody says to me ATM, ATM machine, yeah. no, they say ATM machine, machine. I say, well, you must mean ass to mouth machine because ATM automatic teller has the word machine, machine. just in like it. when people say pin number. Yeah, and you're certainly not stupid enough to say machine machine. Right. So there must be a machine somewhere that does ass to mouth. I made that. <laughs> I made that joke on. I think I made that joke on Twitter when I went to the. Uh, the Adult Entertainment Expo once. It was going on at the same time as CES. And I was like, I think the ATM machine here means something different. There you and, go, exactly. and no one no one got what I was talking no, about. Well, I'm glad. So you explained it. I, so yes. It helped. Yes. So you got twice a day. So after five days, you then the window is open to talk with her about spirituality. Sure. But I think you can do those 10 things again. Right. So it's really 10, 15, maybe a month you go before you go, okay, we've done all of that. Now, what do you think about God? I mean, when you're, yeah, exactly. When you're, you know, like, right, you finish your act. Uh, you're you're telling off uh, some some light poop off of your genitals, and you're like, <laughs> well, so let's talk about Santorum. Let's. <laughs> you're cleaning up the Santorum, isn't that the is that the what we're supposed to be now. doing? That's is, the euphemism yeah. now. Then you can say, so what do you think about God? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that, exactly. that's the time uh, when that comes so, up. So uh, he had gotten to that point with her, and they were having real serious arguments, really horrible arguments about this, and he was using and just this is just a. A warning to listeners. Um, don't ever use me as an example in any argument with someone you love. <laughs> don't say the words pen or Gillette or a big fat guy from Penn and Teller. <laughs> don't use anything that could mean me any reference when you're point. talking to someone that you love or trying to love. Just a little piece of advice. Because okay. once you bring up, well, you know, Penn says it's over for you. Right. You've lost the argument right away. But he's brought up. You know, Penn says this, this, and this about skepticism. And they're arguing not only God, but also skeptic stuff. Okay? Sure. She believes in ESP and all the other things you have to believe in to do milk enemas. Sure. Right? She has, you know, she has that whole, <laughs> that whole list of things that she, that she believes in. And uh, I sensed you were going to spray milk into me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she then, as her final, you know, QED slam, whatever the children say, for the win, she comes in with, see, you and Penn knew Danny Gans was going to die. 
Oh, my. That's why you had that discussion. That's why Penn said that if one of them goes away, we'll agree completely because you knew it. And that was her argument, not grasping at straws argument, but that was the argument of, so, see? <laughs> you know, that was her, you know, that was her Pascal's wager. You know? <laughs> I, I, I would like to see it more that you're psychokinetic. And when you finish a pastrami sandwich while you're talking about someone, that person dies. Or oh, when, when I put out enough, sandwich. when I could put out enough hate towards someone, they just <laughs> die. But if that's true, there's a lot of people living we have to explain. There's a lot of pastrami. So in the 80s, uh, people went to Vegas ironically. Yes. Everybody went ironically. You would go there. If you didn't smoke cigars, you'd smoke cigars. You know, yeah. if you didn't have brandy, you'd drink brandy. You did all the stuff you didn't do. You wore a skinny tie. You know, you walked around and you went to shows that were not good and you experienced the show ironically, which is fun. Yeah. And then you left. And that's why we came in in the early 90s and Blue Man Group and stuff and had to train people that maybe you can actually see a show that you don't have to watch ironically that you can actually enjoy. So I went it's in like the, the internet. What's that? It's exactly like the internet. People like watch a lot of stuff ironically, and you train people to actually see good things in Vegas. Yeah, but you have, so it's possible. You have to do that. You have to do that. So I went, it was in the 80s, and I was, I guess I was on Broadway. And I went out to Vegas with some, you know, goofball friends of mine. I had a couple days off, went to Vegas, and we wanted to go to the Grand Canyon and do that kind of stuff, you know. And I'm fully, uh, I mean, even though it's the 80s, I'm fully Ramones. You know, I've got a, I got a black leather jacket, and I got a T-shirt, and I got sunglasses. And we decide to see, as a gag, ironically, we're going to go and laugh at Dean Martin. Okay. <laughs> so like 1989, 88, you know, me and a couple of my douchebag friends are going to go see Dean Martin. And we got, you know, because at that point, I'm on Broadway. So, you know, we, uh, we, have a, we have a VIP booth, right? Okay. And I'm there with, you know, whatever it was, William Morris, ICM or something. Mm. And they got everything picked up. And, you know, I tipped the maitre d' 100 bucks, and I'm a star and shit. And uh, we sit in the, in the banquet. And our plan is not to do anything rude. I, mean, I want to make that very clear. Never to heckle, never to scoff. Yeah. Never to do anything. But in my heart, you know, which which we know because we talked about it beforehand, no one in the audience knows. We keep that secret. But we are intending to witness Dean Martin ironically. Sure. We intend to kind of go, <laughs> yeah, rat pack, right? Now it's in the 80s. <laughs> this would be great. And Dean Martin came out and kicked my ass harder than it's ever been kicked. Really? It was a perfect show. And it was such... A, it was exactly the Ramones. I use the Ramones example because you did go see the Ramones, and you probably are too young. You didn't see the Ramones. I did not see the Ramones, no. But for those of us who are elderly, you know, we saw the Ramones in the, well, I saw the Ramones in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And, um, I saw them many, many times. And you'd take someone to see the Ramones, especially in the early days, you know, when I was, you know, their age, you know. I, I guess I would still be, except they stopped counting after they're dead. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. We're, start, yeah. we're around the same age. Sure. Ramones. And you'd go to like CBGB in 76 to see the Ramones. And you'd bring someone with you, right? Someone that like knew a little bit about music. And four songs in, the person would either say out loud or say to himself or herself, they're not really going to do another song at that tempo in G without a guitar solo, <laughs> with the same lyrics we don't quite understand. And you'd kind of go, 
Yeah, they are. <laughs> and then they would do four more of those, and it would hit like 35 minutes of, what are they like? And the same chords. And just, and uh, at 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it was completely and utterly indecipherable as art. It was an insane experience. What am I doing here? You know, it's not the angst of the sex pistols. There's not this kind of poetry. It's not, you know, the genius of the clash, the wittiness of Elvis Costello. These are stupid guys <laughs> doing stupid things, right? And uh, which, which incidentally, Jersey Boys is such a huge success. I've often thought if you wanted to do a musical about people stupider than the Four Seasons, <laughs> you have to go to the Ramones. I mean, that's the only way you can dumb it down more. So you say, they weren't actually stupid, but the show was stupid, right? Okay. Then at about 35 minutes, everybody understood it. And then you were like, of course they're going to do another song at that tempo in G. Of course it's going to be indecipherable. And this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was, there was a purity to it that won. You know, if you're a half-assed artist then what you want to do is do a lot of variation. Ah, you know, let's do a slow number. Let's do an acoustic number. Let's change guitars 20 times. You know, let's be edge. And every single guitar solo will have a different guitar. Okay. It'll be plugged into a different... No, no. The Ramones just... What are they about? Over and over again. And Dean Martin was precisely that. You would say to yourself, he's not really going to be that relaxed, that comfortable and do half a song and then just trail off for no reason. He can't really seem like a pleasant uncle with us in his living room and just <laughs> loving him for this long. He's got to change it up. And, and it was exactly the Ramones. Because in 15 minutes, you just go, he's not going to go, everybody, oh, screw it. He's not going to do that again. <laughs> he can't do that again. And he does it 15 more times. And I want to tell you, um, and we were just destroyed. And I'm looking over at these guys with me who are there to be there ironically. And I see them just, and if you've ever done that, if you've ever gone to a show in order to ridicule someone in your heart, and then they do the best show you've ever seen, it's a very, very special experience. It's not something you get. It's not like, you know, someone you thought was an idiot and then you end up really liking them over lunch. It's much more powerful than that. Because it widens your scope. It widens your understanding. You're a different person. Yes. You become a different person, you know, and you just kind of go, oh, so Tony Orlando and Dawn can be good. Okay, that's a bad example. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying. It not just, it just blows up. And I'm going to do some timing that, um, that Dean Martin did. Okay. And this is... As far as I remember, without exaggeration, this is the actual timing Dean Martin did. The right. actual timing. Now, at the time, Shirley MacLaine was talking a lot about spiritualism and stuff like sure. that. And, of course, Dean Martin had been in some movies with Shirley MacLaine. You know, Warren Beatty's brother, part of the whole Hollywood thing. Now, this is the timing that Dean Martin does on what, in his show, passes for a joke. You could never get away with it. No one else in the world can. But he brought down the house with this. He went... I know, uh, I know Shirley MacLaine. I know her. Uh, I know her. I know her personally. She's a. Uh, she's. A nut. 
Okay, and that timing, this incredible, you're in a Vegas lounge with 1,100 people that all have glasses, yeah. and it's dead quiet. And Dean's doing nothing except searching for the word nut. And then he stops halfway through the show and goes, you know, uh, you can't, you can't possibly see this. But from where I'm standing, a spotlight looks just like a train coming at me from the sky. Like it's going to run me over. You can't, you can't see that, can you? But it looks just like a train coming at me from the sky. Did he know what he was doing? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and on top of that, and this is important to know about the world, I believe Dean Martin was a sociopath. Oh. I believe Dean Martin had um, uh, no empathy for other people whatsoever. He did not feel empathy. That doesn't mean he wasn't a good person. It doesn't mean he couldn't even love, but just not empathy. You know the test they do for a sociopath where yeah. you just, you'll bang your hand and everybody who's not will go, ooh, you know. But, but, a, but a sociopath may get you medical attention. They may help you. They may show you sympathy. But that moment that your hand gets hit with a hammer, they don't cringe. Oh, okay? wow, because they have no, they can't, they can't be empathic. They don't, they don't, they're just not instant thing. Someone gets hit by a truck, they'll run and get help, but they won't go, Whoa! They don't do that, you know. They just go, okay, I'll get help. That'd be amazing if Dean Martin was a serial killer, a la Dexter. No, no, but you don't, see, if you, what I contend, if you have a doctor or a lawyer try to find a sociopath, you do not want someone who feels empathy for you while they're taking out your liver. This is true. You want someone who's following the actual rule. You're endoscopic, we're going to do this. They don't go, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, ah. You don't want anybody doing that. It's gross, you guys. It's really gross. So, so, well, it's fascinating to me that a performer could not have empathy. Oh, well, that's the great thing. Because the other thing is, if you think, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have you do this out loud because okay. it might be embarrassing, but I want you to think about the sexiest person. You ever encountered? We're not. Don't say something. I someone you had sex with. It was wonderful. But the person that you looked at them and talked to them a little bit and just completely melted. Sure, that is a sociopath because we have such eagerness to please them. The fact that they don't have that there, there's a kind of sexiness that just demands from you that you show me that you're worthy of me looking at you. Is that, what's, is that what people refer to as, like, magnetism? I believe it is. I believe it is. I believe that that is, you know, and you wouldn't want to say this publicly or on a podcast or anything. Sure. But I believe that what we find attractive, magnetism and so on, is simply sociopathology. There's nothing else. Because Dean Martin, I mean, and I mean this, the Sex Pistols, okay, um, come out on stage and they spit on you and they don't care and they throw beer at you and it's just completely transparent. All they want is your love. Right. You know, that's all they want. And you, no one believes them for a second. Not one of their fans believes that they really hate their audience. Right. They adore their audience. Because why would they fucking be there if they really hated them? Well, that's the answer with Dean Martin. You, he doesn't need you at all. And it's an amazing feeling to sit in an audience with someone on stage who is in no way needy. Right. <laughs> you know, in no way desperate. And Bob Dylan is needy. You know, the greatest performers you can think of are needy. Dean Martin was not. And there was a moment during his show when someone said something fairly loud. I don't think you'd call it a heckle. But they were talking at a table while he was talking fairly loudly. And Dean looks over at him. 
and they stop instantly. And Dean's reaction to this heckle, you know, was not, hey, I don't go down to the bus station, knock the dick out of your mouth when you're sure. working. You know, none of that, you know, ooh, when second cousins marry, none of that stuff, you know. He just, uh, or I remember my first beer, none of that. Right. He just looks over at him for a moment and they shut up. And when, as soon as they shut up, he goes, no, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to be quiet. You know, um, Sinatra, Frank Sinatra. You got to be quiet when he's working. You got to pay attention. But you know, you can bowl during my act. <laughs> and I, you know, I, the bowling was not put for you. That's what he says. I maybe he put it for me. He did, did he ask about no, me? I want him to like me so bad. It's exactly that. So your question that you started here just moments ago. Yes. Moments was what great shows have you seen in Vegas? And Dean. And the Martin. answer was Dean Martin. I love I think that it's idea. One of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my I life. I love that idea. And and you're absolutely right. Like there are certain performers where you go, oh, they just have a thing. And now that you've put that into words. In my head, I'm piecing together, oh, yeah, none of those performers made it seem like they needed me to like them. <laughs> That's so fucking crazy. Where I feel like when I'm on stage, I'm just constantly like, hey, please like me. Love me. Please love like me. me. Love me. Love I'm me. up yeah. here because I need you to like me. Yeah. <laughs> so why even, why even perform? Was it just because it was his profession and he didn't know what else to do? I think there's a, I think there's a one-word answer. Hmm. Pussy. Pussy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's the only answer possible for Dean Martin. You know, uh, there's a book. Uh, Nick Toshis wrote a book called Dino. Uh, that's Dean Martin's life story. Yeah. And uh, it is full of amazing, amazing uh, piece of information. When Jerry, you know, and people don't know this, and they shouldn't, I guess, but it still bothers me. Uh, the most successful entertainment act by any metric you want to use in the United States of America's history was Martin and Lewis. No comparison with Sinatra, no comparison with the Beatles, no comparison with Elvis. Wow. Uh, for 18 months in the mid-50s, they would stop all traffic in Times Square if they walked out of their hotel room. They were huge huge superstars and you can't even understand the level that they were stars for long term for percentage of the country it's Bing Crosby you know for um uh, iconography you know it's Elvis mm -hmm. you know and of course for record sales it's Justin Bieber i mean right. just it, 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 that just ends up with population but really for a certain way you want to measure it which is you know um stopping traffic changing the world Every single radio show, every single newspaper article mentioning them, it's Martin and Lewis right there in that sweet spot. And then they broke up. And um, <clears throat> Jerry Lewis called Dean Martin after they broke up and said uh, there was going to be this little moment of closure afterwards. And Jerry Lewis said, you know, Dean, a lot of guys can sing like you. They can be funny. A lot of guys can do all the stuff we do. But there was something about the two of us together that really uh, grabbed America. And I think, you know, thinking about it, Dean, I think that that something was, was love. I think people just felt this love between us. They just felt this love. And Dean said... You can call it love if you want. I just saw a big fucking dollar sign. Goodbye. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs>
That's it. You know. That is insane. Yeah. And what what you had with Martin and Lewis, and if you watch any of the stuff with them, you have this combination of someone who cares so desperately as Arthur Penn, who directed um, Martin and Lewis and was a friend of mine, one of the greatest American directors of all time. Uh, I don't know why I said American in there. It was like to try to pretend that I knew something about anything <laughs> yeah. that wasn't American. Or if you said, I'd be like, is that guy from Russia? Like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're an American. Yeah, I okay. just, I'm an American. Okay. Uh, Arthur Penn, one of the greatest directors of all time, who worked with Martin Lewis, said, you know, when you were in a room, Jerry Lewis used up all the air in the room. <laughs> right. You couldn't breathe when you were in a room with him because he just, he sucked up everything. So, so, I mean, no one has ever wanted approval more than Jerry Lewis, and no one has ever wanted it less than Dean Martin. And you put these two guys on stage, and the, the, the psyche of watching them, you, you just blow up. You don't know what to do. They're polarized. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's this beautiful thing. So, yeah, going to see Dean Martin, um, ironically, in Vegas, huge mistake for me. Because I should have gone in, I mean, on my knees, crawling and bowing. It still is. And I've seen a lot of shows. I've seen a lot of really good people. You know, I have seen Sinatra. I have seen the Sex Pistols. You know, uh, I have seen the Clash. I've seen, you know, I've I've seen the Beatles. But you know, seen Dylan a lot. Uh, I've seen I've seen some good acts, and Dean Martin is probably the top. And it was probably just him on stage with a microphone. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, in a band. Yeah. Maybe he and uh, maybe he and Martin were like the two halves of the dark crystal, and someone just needed to reunite the shard <laughs> with the crystal so they would morph into that one. Because it sounds like they were just completely like, perfectly it's balanced amazing. opposites. And you know, when you're on stage, and I'm sure you felt this, there are moments when you're on stage that you've got a bit that that's actually good, mm -hmm. and you've worked on it a little bit, and does kind of work and you do kind of have confidence and you start going into that and for a split second, the only thing going through your head is something other than love me, love me, love me, love me. Yeah. And you feel that moment and you go, wow, you know, they don't really need me to beg them to love me. They really just need me to be good. <laughs> well, it, it, and that doesn't cross your mind until very late in show business. Did that change the way, because you were on Broadway and then you went back to do your show, did it, did it, do you feel like that changed you on as a performer at all? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I also uh, it, it gives you a chance to um, uh, you can for a moment uh, tune out the audience and just try to do really good stuff. Uh, it's the hardest thing in the world to do because if you look at stand-up acts, it's a little laugh every 20 seconds, big laugh every minute and a half. Mm -hmm. And unless you're hitting that rhythm, you know, which is the rhythm kind of created out of vaudeville and burlesque, uh, things feel really, really wrong, and you, you start panicking. And yet, when you listen to uh, the people you care about the most, Lenny Bruce, you know, George Carlin, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, all those people don't follow that rule. Louis, do, Louis doesn't follow. No, that not at all. Oh no, no, Louis. Louis, Louis probably, uh, and I, you know, Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, my biggest heroes in the world. If I had more distance and wasn't the age I am, Louis C.K. is probably better. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, certainly. You know, and I, I, I bet he would say because of building on their shoulders, but maybe even not even counting that. He, his stuff is so intellectually interesting. 
And his stuff is so completely committed and completely beautiful. I don't think you're going to find better than Louis C.K. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect example of that. That he just doesn't feel like, you know, he hasn't gotten a laugh in a minute. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great... Because you're still interested in hearing what he's saying and you still, yeah. like, the... Yeah, he... Even before he kind of hit this stride, he always had an insane way of of kind of spinning your perspective on a topic and making you go, oh, fuck, I ne- wow, how did you get that out of that? Yeah, he's, he's, he's just so wicked good. And really, his thing about technology that he did almost at Letterman. Or Conan, I think. Conan, yeah. Where it's like, we didn't have this tech, like about, about on the planes the and the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, is one, I mean, it, it is the argument that every pro-science person has tried to make in you know, hour-long lectures. And he does it in uh, what three minutes a couch, and it's it's perfect. It's just uh, it's just it's just a perfect intellectual argument that's also really funny. Why is it then that co- where comedy, where really like really really good comedy, uh, uh, you know, it 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 actually is uh, compelling. It ta- it ta- it sort of talks about uh, the the zeitgeist of it, it makes good points, and yet I feel like. People don't really take it serious. I mean, like, not. It sounds weird to say they don't take comedy seriously, but I think I think good comedy is harder to do than good drama. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's because you know, well, that well, that's that's been known for a long time. You know, it's you know, uh, there's all sorts of probably apocryphal, you know, famous actor on his or her deathbed saying, uh, you know, it must be hard dying. You know, dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Sure. There's all, there's probably actually a real person, but every time I hear that quoted, it's for the different it's like, actors. Oh, it was Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> oh, it was, uh... Although, you know, uh, I believe, and I haven't been able to find out this is false, but the best way to find out when you're wrong about something is to say it publicly. And you, uh, <laughs> do you mean, is there some sort of a delivery system where people would let you know to your face that oh, yeah. what you're saying is not true. No, no but it's really, it, it's really true in, uh, in uh, religious discussions mm-hmm. that I believe that the people that say we won't talk about religion, we won't talk about this, I have my feelings, you have yours, we'll be respectful. What they're really saying is don't bust me, I won't bust you. Right. And if you really care about the truth, which I believe that many fundamentalist Christians evangelical Christians who are the people I want to talk to, uh, they really believe the truth. Mm-hmm. They will say it, and they will talk to you, and they will be eager to learn. And that's why you get you know, people from evangelical backgrounds, when they go atheist, they go atheist really intellectually, not emotionally. They don't slide into it. They really make a decision. And I believe that the, the, what, we, what we call tolerance is actually just a fear of being proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you state what you believe over and over again loudly, you will get busted every single time. And right now, you know, when this thing, uh, when people listen to this thing, um, I will get tweets that correct every point of view. Dean Martin did not do the uh, the spotlight joke in 1987. He only did that in 91. It was the third time you saw him, not the first time, Penn. Asshole. Boom. Weird that that person would know all those things. Except in 140 characters. Sure. You know, they'll, they'll be able to do that. Um, hashtag, boom. Yeah, hashtag. <laughs> hashtag, Penn is wrong. <laughs> is that a hashtag? I bet it is. It is. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I made this stupid mistake. I was on, you know, pimping um, 
uh, the Celebrity Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I wanted a mission for my sins. They gave me one, um, <laughs> and I was on with Adam Carolla, and I told this completely false story about there not being a Nobel Prize in math. It was one that I'd heard, you know, over 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 supper, you know, from a friend, and I had never checked it. I hadn't gone to Snopes. I didn't expect to bring it up, yeah. but it came up talking to Adam Carolla, and I uh, I told this story, which is a great great story. Not true. Often true of great stories. Sure. Not true. Um, and then immediately, you know, I get up from the interview and I have, you know, 40 tweets saying that's, that story's bullshit. Uh-huh. And I type in immediately, I was wrong, that story is bullshit. And still, they re-show that and I get another 40 <laughs> things going, that's the wrong. So I believe Oscar Wilde. And just get ready. They already got <laughs> now. Right now, as people are listening, they have their finger. And this, and you know, this podcast is called Nerdist. Yes, and sir. there's 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 a pejorative built into the word nerd, which I guess is turned around it almost has. completely. Yeah. But when I say about these people that are listening and have their fingers on the keyboard, it is not in any way. It's it's just respect and also humbled that people care enough to do that. But they're already they've already got Oscar Wilde into the Google. Thing there. They've already got that. That wasn't either those curtains go or I do. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. It, now, is do you think that's true? I don't know. You're but gonna I, find I, out. I like believing it's true because, you know, it's uh, it, it it I I like the idea, and I think it's one of the reasons why I love Doctor Who so much. Oh, yeah. Is is creating mythology with with real live reference points. Mm-hmm. I love I love that. I love that. I like I will totally see Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. You know, like I just I love the creation of mythology that are based in real people, even if all the facts so like with the Oscar Wilde thing, I don't know if he said it, but I love the idea of but, it so what much. What I love is that the hashtag just changed to Chris is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of that. There is plenty of I that. I love that. You know what I love your I love I love your point about uh, do you do you feel um, because you're so outspoken about things and because you, you very freely share, you, you say what you believe. I try. You absolutely say what you believe. And when you're wrong, you say I'm wrong. When you think you're right, you say I'm right. Do you, how are you sort of emotionally shielded from people, you know, running up to you so much and be like, you're a fucking piece of shit. You don't know what you're fucking talking about. You goddamn idiot. Like, uh, how do you, you know, that's something I was just, uh, I was just talking you know, that you talk about all the time. You know, there's this, um, there's a sense of thick-skinned. You know, people will tell you Howard Stern has a, has, has a thick skin. You know, um, uh, Sam Kennison, you know, nothing bothered him. You could say anything to him you wanted. And people say, you know, you have a thick skin. People can run up and say you're fucking wrong. I believe that is absolutely not true. Um, there's, a, you know, a, kind of a parable about, uh, parable's not the right word, but there's a story about bravery uh, where a, a young a young uh, uh, soldier is talking to an older soldier, and the older soldier is, is trembling. And the younger soldier says, you're trembling, I thought you were brave. And the older soldier says, if you understood the situation the way I do, you wouldn't be here. That's bravery. Oh, wow. Uh, bravery is not the absence of fear. Bravery is action in the presence of fear. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge difference. And I believe that everything... People say about every insult comic, uh, Lisa Lampanelli, mm-hmm. you know, use an example. Everything they say that's hurtful to her hurts her exactly as much as whoever you want to see is the most tender, you know, 14-year-old mall girl right. in the Midwest. The amount of pain is exactly the same. It's just working through it. And I feel like it's unfair. You know, I'll, I'll do a, an appearance on something. You know, and I have um, 
a lot of followers on Twitter. And I do this nutty thing where I try. You know, when the Celebrity Apprentices hits and, you know, when my podcast, Sunday School, first hit, um, I, I get 800 tweets. And I, I try to answer them all, but I can't. But on a regular day-to-day basis, I try to answer every tweet that requires an answer personally. And I will find that I do 25 thank yous in a row. You know, thank you, thank you. And some stuff remarkable, like people that, you know, really reacted to the atheism of my book and really beautiful stuff and talking about, you know, death of a loved one, which I talk about a lot and, uh, and so on. And I, and I write thanks. And then one person writes one thing like, you know, um, I'll give you an example. Um, your answers, your, you, you, I just did this thing called Five Minutes with Obama. What would you say to Obama if you had five minutes with him? Mm-hmm. You know? And I, all I hit on that was peace, stop killing people. That's all I care about, really, stop killing people. And somebody wrote, your answer seemed insincere. <laughs> oh, that must really, that is the core of your being. <laughs> because you, from what I know about you, you always try to be I sincere try. and honest. Of course I fail. And I'm always failing. That's right. way worse than saying you're a fucking idiot because that <laughs> that gets at the very core of who you are. I get something that says, my mother died. Reading your book helped me through it. Thank you so much. And I write back, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Mm-hmm. means a lot. Guy writes one sentence on... You, you seemed insincere on this. My glasses come off. I put my hand <laughs> up to my face. I go back and I say, what did I say? I read it over again and I go, well, yeah, there's a turn of phrase in there that maybe I tried to put wit ahead of what I was actually feeling, but that's what I'm really feeling. And they gave me, you know, all the stuff he doesn't know. Like when they give you the thing you have to answer the questions on, this is the number of sentences you can use. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these kind of rules, what paper is going to be for and all of that. And I just feel, while I'm doing it and feeling bad, I also feel tremendously guilty because it is pissing in the face of everyone that said something kind. You know, a, a person writes about his mother's fucking death and has me in there as helping them through it. You know, what could be more vulnerable? What could be more offering up in in cyberspace to Twitter? How can you offer up that kind of pure, raw emotion to a stranger in Twitter? And it takes me the amount of time to process that. Thanks means a lot. You were a little bit insecure. Uh, Oh, okay. There's a Freudian (laughs) slip. Whoa! Okay. Well, we just explained that whole thing. There we go. There we go. I think we've uh, I think we've peeled back the flesh to get the the juicy organs inside. But I I do think that uh, you're not taking into the emotional equation what that guy's frame of mind was. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he just got beaten up by his uh, his girlfriend. Right. You know? uh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, no, well, you know, uh, th- you sure? that's the thing I always like to point out. You know, spousal abuse is about 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And so uh, the one side of it doesn't go as reported because got, Well, you know. I don't know, you know, but 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 if you go to, you know, your emergency rooms and stuff, it's, you know, and I have a uh, one of my one of my dearest friends was stabbed in the back by his wife. Oh my god. With a knife. In the back, Christ. stabbed in the back. Was it Tom Now Arnold? the number of people 
that I've met personally been stabbed in the back is one. <laughs> and I know eight people who've been shot. Okay, I know one guy's been stabbed in the back, and it was by a spouse oh my who God. took a knife and buried it into his back. And he was too embarrassed to go to the emergency room. So he has this big, gnarly scar. You know, he's 76 years old and has this big, gnarly scar where it looks like someone stabbed him in the back with a kitchen knife. I love the second after that happened where I was like, <laughs> blah. And then he's like, oh, I can't go to the hospital for this. Oh, what did you do that for? It's like just, it's so inconvenient. I, I, had, I had a friend, one of, my, uh, one of the best close-up magicians that ever lived, named Jerry Camaro. And Jerry Camaro, I can tell stories about Jerry Camaro forever. Jerry Camaro rode with a motorcycle gang called the Huns. Okay. And the Huns were a, were a gang in, I guess, the 60s and 70s. I may get some of these facts wrong. They're out of Connecticut. And they're the ones, <laughs> you, you know, you want a definition of some sort of badass. Sure. Stupid badass. Some sort of definition. They're the ones that stole a million dollars in arms from the Black Panthers. <laughs> okay. Then sold them back to them. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have a lot of trouble thinking of something stupider than that. Yeah. But he was sergeant of arms at that time. Okay. Jerry wow. Camaro. Uh, that's the kind of tough guy he was. And he was a close up magician, right? And <laughs> that's would... how he got the arms. He <laughs> just all the guns. Well, well, that, 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 well, that was that was the whole thing. He did this perfect bottom deal. And, you know, a bottom deal is impossible because what you're trying to do with a bottom deal is you want to deal cards off the bottom of the deck that look like they're coming off the top, so that the top card that you're controlling can be dealt to you or to anybody you want to. That's what a bottom deal accomplishes. Okay. And a bottom deal is impossible because your eye can't see it coming from the bottom instead of the top, but you can see all the body language, and you can also hear the sound. The sound of a card being dealt, like, you know, sports people say baseball, that outfielders can tell. I don't know why I'm using a sports analogy. I don't understand it. But they can tell where the ball is going from the sound of the bat, the sound okay. of the ball hitting the bat. So the sound of the card coming off. I can tell if someone's doing a false deal or a false shuffle without looking in that direction. You can just hear it. And Jerry's were perfect. Perfect, perfect deals. And he would travel around doing uh, workshops for other magicians, teaching his bottom deal. And I would go and watch him do these things, and I would say to him afterwards, but you don't give them the most important thing about your perfect bottom deal. And he said, what's that? I go, you did 14 years in prison for murder one. <laughs> you cannot do a perfect bottom deal without doing at least 15, 12, maybe, years in prison for murder one. You need to sit in a cell with a deck of cards, and you need to do that longer than anyone has the willpower to do. So if you want to learn a perfect bottom deal, and I know you do. I do. My advice is, first, kill a motherfucker. Okay. Get caught. Mm -hmm. 20 years from now, you'll have a perfect, perfect bottom deal. Now you're going to do that in some bad twist. They're going to take your cards away. And then no. You'll no. Then he'll also be good at ATM. <laughs> you know, all those things. That's a given. The whole thing. That's a given. Yeah. Already good so at it, Jerry, guys. Jerry... Jerry would do this uh, trick. You know, he worked in a tuxedo, right? Because he, he got out of prison, they let him out of the gang, and he went to do close-up magic. He would work these classes. That's the most insane with, story I've ever heard. With a tuxedo, right? And he would be out there doing tricks, <laughs> and he would get like a, a yuppie asshole. This is in the 80s, yeah. heckling him, right? And when he, when he got this asshole heckling him, 
he would come out and he'd roll up his sleeves and say, watch this. And he would do this ace trick that was stunning. And from the moment he started the ace trick, uh, the guy would shut up and he would own he would own the whole room. You know, you know this is close up, so 10, yeah. 15 people. He would own all of them. And the heckler would never heckle him again. And he would talk about this ace trick as his absolute heckler stopper. So he's coming back. He's working the same place, Magic Island or something, you know, one of those places, Magic Castle or something. And uh, we're back in the break room. And I just watched his set. And uh, Jerry says to me, you know, Pan, that ace trick I do, you saw I had that asshole there, stops him dead every time. That ace trick, man, they don't say another word. I said, Jerry, it's not the trick. He goes, what do you mean it's not the trick? It doesn't matter what trick you did there. He goes, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? I said, you roll up your sleeves when you do that. He goes, yeah, that's to show them that there's none of that bullshit with the sleeves or stuff. I said, no, that shows them your jailhouse ink. (laughs) It says on your wrist, fuck the world. And there's Dennis the Menace on a trike, and you have all the colors from the Huns. And even a yuppie idiot knows the difference between mall ink and jailhouse ink. I said, the color isn't consistent. The lines are awful. It's obviously done with, you know, a mixture of, like, shit and newspaper with a a needle hooked to a cassette recorder. And you roll your sleeve up, and the guy goes, hey, listen. Oh, a good trick. It's a good trick. (laughs) Never understood that. And Jerry Camaro told me he had been shot four times and stabbed five or six. You could see I was around him when he would change and he would take off his shirt and there were bullet holes and like knife wounds into him. And he said to me one of the most chilling things anyone has ever said to me. He said, you know, Penn, if you're ever uh, given a choice between being shot and being stabbed, go with the shot because a knife hurts going in, coming out, and all the time in between. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now, that makes my stomach drop out. He's probably said it very matter-of-factly. <laughs> and I say that. as a joke to him, yeah, but how often do they give you a choice? And he says, sometimes they do. Uh, <laughs> was he a sociopath? Was Jerry Camaro a sociopath performer? <laughs> I think he was. That's the... I mean, sometimes they, there's the choice. Oh, fuck Sophie. Give up one of your kids in a second. You want to be shot or you want to be stabbed? Give me a while to think about this. Well, that's a fucked up because usually when you think about being attacked, it doesn't ever seem really calculated. It's just like, oh, this skirmish happened. But if someone is offering you a choice, there's a whole other level of fucked upness that is oh, occurring. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll wake up screaming in the middle of the night thinking about that. There will be, there will be a dream when you're at the bowling alley with dad. Oh. And some guy says, you know, you want to be shot or you want to be stabbed. You'll say, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Now, now we all know the answer. We know the answer. Yeah, the answer is you want to get yeah, shot. you want to sit right here. Just get it clean. Just get it clean through. Not, don't point directly to your heart. No, no, no. How high are you? Heart's here. Just like in the shoulder, oh, maybe. Yeah, in the, the sh- like shoulder. Go higher. Yeah, go higher. I don't know. Uh, I, I, but point to that place. I want to. Point to the place in your body where you want to get shot. I don't it's know. A hard does, it, does it go through here? Like it goes all the way no, through? No, those are vital organs. Oh, oh no, right. you want to go thigh. Thigh. Yeah, you want your thigh shot. Thigh? Or ass. You want ass shot? You well, think? you need muscle. 
Yeah, because that's going to heal faster. Okay. And he's known, you know, he's known at the gym as muscle ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the comment. <laughs> he's on the he's on the rowing machine, just like well, see like the muscle ass or ATM machine. <laughs> <laughs> Your ATM machine at the yeah. gym. I want to ask you because we have about ten more minutes with okay. you. I want to ask you about amazing meeting because I didn't, I forgot okay. to do it last time. Because uh, my friend Adam Savage uh, is good guy, and, and Paul Provenza. Good guy. Uh, also are very involved with Amazing Meeting, which yeah. happens every year in Vegas. It does. Uh, so just tell, tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about Amazing Meeting. Well, you, we, we, you know who Amazing Randy is. Yes. Uh, James Randy. I guess you're not really asking me this. You probably know most of it. I know a lot of it. Me. I just want you to tell the um, people. You know, um, Amazing Randy created Penn & Teller. You know, uh, when I was uh, 18, uh, I went and saw uh, James Randy give a lecture. And the idea is that the worst thing you can do is to lie to another person. Uh, and I mean really lie. I don't mean something you believe or a little half-assed lie. But one of the most powerful things you can do is just say an untruth. And when I was 18, I had been burned very badly by a magician, Kreskin, um, a mentalist who led me to believe that there, were, there was ESP. And I had completely uh, conflated. I guess you don't even conflate it. I mean, I... They were the same to me, lying to an audience on stage and lying one-on-one -on -one to a person. And I was very against that and still am. And Amazing Randy did this show where he talked about lying being okay within the proscenium and not okay outside of it. So once I'm telling you in the Penn and Teller show that I'm going to lie to you and you know that, it's okay. I go a step further and say that I don't want anyone to leave our show with a misunderstanding about the world around them. So we can saw a woman into halves, and then you leave and know we haven't killed her. Mm -hmm. But that also has to be true with mentalism. You can't think that I did a trick with memorization or reading body language that was actually done with a you know slip force. You know, I just I can't do that. That's not right. So I that's that's a hard thing to keep. By the way, that's a hard uh, that's a hard level to keep because it's so nice to be able to go. I read your body language on that because it might cover up you know the fact you did a shitty move. Um, right. So Randy changed you know and that's that's a huge thing about randy and about houdini you know elvis presley doesn't really make a change in the philosophy of what he's doing if you want to talk about what's great about elvis you know um great voice sexy but more important than that um culturally uh doing an awful lot and i mean i guess this could be argued with but an awful lot for racial harmony i mean he he did make black and white music the same he didn't mix those together. Uh, and whether, I mean, someone had to do it. Whether it happened to be Elvis or he actually did it, that's a big thing. But he didn't change from there to something else. What Houdini did was started out as an escape artist. You know, I defy the jails of the world to hold me. And then changed to there is no afterlife. Right. Pretty, pretty heavy. You and know? He, he was disproving people. Yeah, he was, he was busting people. And Randy did that same thing. He went from escape artist to someone who worked with scientists and talked about how, you know, essentially said when you're testing paranormal claims, you do need all the scientists there, but you also need a magician because test tubes don't lie to you. Yeah. And people do. We need to do this. So he set up, uh, over the years, he went from just James Randy and nut would go on Tom Snyder and say, you know, Uri Geller might be doing magic tricks, um, <laughs> to the James Randi Educational Foundation, which is now thousands of people and is out of Florida and has a board of directors. Which, you know, how many things are you involved with that have a board of directors? 
Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. That's pretty rad. I have a board of directors. And um, uh, Randy becomes this kind of figurehead, and uh, they do whatever you want to call it, ghost busting, skepticism, whatever. And then uh, every year, and they do it, they've done one in Australia, they've done one in England, they tried one in Florida, but mostly it's Vegas, you know, the... <laughs> <laughs> the, the bellwether of skepticism. <laughs> um, and uh, this year, it's in July. Uh, I know because uh, Friday the 13th of July, my band is doing the, um, the the Penn's Bacon and Donut Party. Awesome. Which is not affiliated in any way with the James Randi Education Foundation. I'm going to go to that. I keep that separate. Sounds like fun. Because I don't want Randy to have to answer for what I do. Because if, if he does, you know, so I pay for everything. I pay for the lights, the sound, the band, the bacons, the donuts, everything. And you're welcome to come in, anybody that's at TAM or anybody that's even in Vegas. I invite everybody. The doors are wide open. I had about 12, 1,300 people last year. I got a, you know, six-piece band. We play rock and roll, atheist rock and roll for an hour and a half. And then I ask people to just give money to Randy. Two, three, four. And, but... The real speakers, you know, they've had, of course, Hitch, Christopher Hitchens, mm -hmm. and Richard Dawkins, and Sam Harris, and all the, you know, the, the, the horsemen of, uh, you know, put Dennett in there, the four horsemen of the, uh, the, the atheist. And uh, I've also gotten Trey and Matt. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone showed up and, uh, and lectured. Because, uh, you know, the best skeptical show ever done on TV was the John Edward episode oh, so good. of South Park. So good. And uh, Teller and I tried for 20 years to explain cold reading and explain talking to the dead and took our best shots at it and did some really, really good stuff and then were completely and utterly creamed by Matt and Trey, who were a thousand times better than us and now, when people come to us as the experts on cold reading, I go watch the South Park. <laughs> Here, yeah, it's on your, it's on the internet. They're, You're they're just just, just better it. than us. <laughs> I always, I remember watching a, a documentary in the early '90s that always stuck with me about James Randi, and and one of the things that he did was, I think he said, and again, I'm sure the internet will tell me if I'm wrong, or you maybe know this, but he said he was making his money when he was younger. He was doing readings for people, mm -hmm. like like tarot card readings, and just as an experiment. He started telling people the opposite of what the cards were actually saying. And he said, without fail, people would always find a connection oh, to always, it. Always, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Randy, uh, uh, there's, a there's a really cool trick. And this is one thing that's not covered by, um, by uh, South Park. So I'll add a little bit to the cold reading thing. There's two tricks to cold reading that are really phenomenal. And they're both kind of poetic. One is... Any cold reading you do, just say everything and take it back. Works perfectly. But do a cold reading on you. Oh. You're very, you're very outgoing, mm. but there's a, there's a shy side of you as well. You like to be around people, but you value your alone time. <laughs> you're in the public eye, but there's a big part of you that doesn't want to be. You're just covering every base. Yeah, well, you're just saying you're this. You're you're a tall guy, but you're also because they're going to hear what they connect to. Sure, sure. And then the other thing, and this Guys, is there was something to this. He was correct. <laughs> <laughs> I see you walking with all the other children, but oh. somehow you're different. This is, this is exactly me. You have a uh, you have a scar on your left knee. Oh my god! Uh, that's that's all, almost always true for everybody. The other one that I love is oh you god. have five people in your family, because everyone has five people in their family. You just don't defy define family. You know, mother, father, uh, two siblings, and you. 
right. or you don't count you, or you count the grandmother that right, lived with you. Count me. Oh, that's that's insane. Yeah, if you're an only child, you have five people because you had two grandparents that were close to you. <laughs> if you know, if you get a single, if you get a single mom, there's you know, there's the aunt that helps you out and her best friend. It's always five people. It's that's great. Hilarious. And the other thing is, you just search your heart and say in general terms what you feel about yourself. And the truth is that cold readings are just bad poetry. And they work for the same reason poetry works, which is that we share a heart that's very, very similar. You know, there's that great quote from, uh, they'll correct me, Plato, I think, who says, um, be kind, everyone's fighting a hard fight. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to say rewind. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was Plato. <laughs> Be kind. <laughs> Matt, yeah. you have scored, my friend. Thank you. It's good. That was Just come in, um, hit a home But run. you know, we all have we all have the same uh, insecurities, the same battles, the same everything, and that comes out in cold raining. So for three or four days on that weekend in July, starting the Friday the thirteenth. Uh, at uh, the South Coast Plaza. Oh, I can't believe Nerdist is going to pay for me to go out and cover this for the website. This <laughs> they is should. Amazing. Well, I will, actually. Okay, good. I'll send you to Vegas. Oh, well, to cover the other thing you can do is you can bang out some shows with incredible guests. Oh, hey. I mean, yeah. Let's do that. There's no chance of you having Dawkins come into the studio. No, he's not coming to E. But you can, <laughs> you can get Dawkins there. That would be you pretty know? crazy. I mean, uh, it's, uh, we, yeah. we went there uh, when I was doing my radio. You know, and I'm doing a podcast now, so I'll be there. I'm doing a podcast called Penn Sunday School. Yeah. And I'll be doing it from there uh, then. And, you know, I, we had, we did the radio show. Godot and I had, you know, <laughs> Hitchens, Dawkins, and Sam Harrison. Those are three weeks in a row. You know, just hardcore uh Great, great, great interviews. It was wonderful. But yeah. it's really a good time. And it also has that, you know, you just don't get to be around those kinds of like-minded people that often. You know, to have over a thousand people, not one of whom is going to talk to you about astrology in a positive way. Unless you're on Reddit. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty uh it's a pretty 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 beautiful situation. And I used to be you know, we did ten years of Penn and Teller doing Q and A's or doing little shows and shit until everybody there had seen everything that we could possibly do and uh ask us every question possible and then I just put together a rock and roll band. <laughs> like, that was my that was solution. A, you should have just called the Q and A. Yeah, <laughs> it was our Q and A, and you know we had uh, we did Viva Las Vegas and had strippers. I mean, I'm... skeptical strippers is pretty cool. That's pretty great. Yeah, they don't because you everything they're doing you can prove because right. and they don't and they don't and they don't and, and the strippers don't say afterwards this is my first day working here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, I I'm not, I'm not real. I'm not a religious person. I was raised Catholic. Um, but I also I don't have anything against religious. I mean, like I have I have friends who are very sure. spiritual, you and should. and the only time I ever get crusty is when people get super judgy about like, you know, when they do the. You're wrong, or I'm going to condescend you because you're going. to... I mean, isn't that? I don't really know what's what. I know what I believe, and I know, you know, it's. I guess it's kind of what you said earlier about like you believe what you want. That that makes you happy. It's true to you because you believe that. Yeah, well, it depends. You know, it depends. The 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 difference of opinion there is whether you want to change what you feel to get closer to the truth, or whether you want to embrace it and not let it go. Right. And I think that the people that tend to be uh, uh, insulted uh, 
that they are more judgmental are actually the people who are changing their minds and going closer to truth. I mean, if you are outspoken, people will slap you down. Sure. And that's a really good way to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the ways I went from being kind of a straight liberal to being libertarian was just friends of mine who I would say something, they'd say, shut up, you're wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. You know, and uh, until I started saying stuff, you, I didn't get I didn't get a chance to be uh, proven wrong, yeah. and you know so I, I I I try to be outspoken because boy, that's the quickest way to get information. If you sit comfortable with your beliefs and keep your mouth shut, you will keep those beliefs the rest of your life. That's an interesting. If you point. speak out about them, people will slap you down. I do yeah. like that point that if you are actually seeking the truth, that you are comfortable with being wrong because ultimately the truth is what you want, not something that just confirm or at least in your mind confirms a set of beliefs that you already you know, have it's, it's 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 hard to do but it's such a great feeling the, the saying oh i'm wrong right it's just a, it's just this great great feeling because you get to learn yeah you get to learn and it's 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 really hard at first and then you can just get really really good at it if you are like me wrong all the time <laughs> <laughs> You get good at going. Oh yeah, that's not how the Nobel Prize map happened. I mean, in a way, I think I think the the internet is good for that. Is that um, you know there was a generation of people who were totally isolated from the public, and so like performers, and so they you know they kind of lived in these weird sort of isolated bubbles. And now the internet is sort of the (laughs) it just keeps you in check. It, it just does. keeps it you does. in check. It, it, you know, the, the idea, and I would have been wrong about that, you know, the idea of um, crowd intelligence, you know, just simply Wikipedia mm-hmm. and all that Wikipedia means, I w- would have been and indeed was um, very skeptical of that working. And, you know, every Wikipedia page has a few mistakes. But boy, on the overall thrust it's pretty right. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who said, you know, they had my birthday wrong, they didn't want my children wrong. They got, and I said, but yeah, but everything they want to really know about you, you can get on that Wikipedia page. The, uh, when we all work together and think together, it is astonishing how much, uh, how much we accomplish. I'm one of the people that thinks that um, there is absolutely nothing but good in the internet. I think there's nothing but good in freedom of speech. I don't put any caveats on it at all. I mean, including all the comments and you're stupid, you You're a better person than I because I I see stuff sometimes online like, "Ah, that guy shouldn't be allowed to express that. (laughs) (laughs) Why does that guy have a voice? (laughs) That's the worst thing I've ever read. But I guess guess that's just part of the thing that makes the system work. And I I like that. I mean, I like the the fact that it's, it's all... Uh, it's all real checks and balances and not at all top down. Yeah. You know, the idea that it's, uh, it really is so purely egalitarian. And I think in a certain way, kind of a meritocracy. You know, yeah. it's, it's amazing the of way course it is. if someone is saying crazy, crazy shit, the, the system, you know, no rules, but just the people kind of just Shut up. That's what I love about Reddit. It is that it is a pure meritocracy for that community. Yeah. Oh, yeah, as, yeah. As you well, see Reddit, the, Reddit is the, the front page is like thing after thing. You're like, yep, that's amazing. Oh, well, yeah, that's fucking great, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they, you know, like everyone, the, the cream rises on that. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's, just, it's just great how, uh, and I also love that you can, you know, you can just, you know, I actually, you know, I, um, I, I was going to say graduated. That wouldn't be accurate. I got out of high school in 73. So I used to have to, you know, uh, if Frank Zappa 
mentioned, um, you know, if Lou Reed mentioned Delmore Schwartz or Frank Zappa mentioned Kafka in the Penal mm-hmm. Colony, I had to get on my bicycle or later on get in my car, yeah. drive to the library. And then go through and find this shit. I cannot imagine how wonderful it would have been to just listen to music, hear a reference, type in to find out the lyrics, and then go and say, oh, I'm supposed to read In the Penal Colony by Kafka. Boom, boom, pull it up. Uh, Unbelievable. Because the library, uh, and I just kicked you. The library was to me uh, the most beautiful place in the world. And now I have one with me all the time in my shirt pocket. We're, we're basically walking at libraries of Alexandria at exactly, all times. Exactly, all of us. And, and soon you won't even be typing. You could, there's already augmented reality. You could just, a song is playing, you hold up your thing, it gives you all the information know, you need to know. I know, like Shazam. The lyrics just go. It's, it's fucking just crazy. Go. And I still don't know how. Do you know how Shazam works? Um, I, I have guessed how it works, which is that, you know, every, every song has a specific waveform that is u- as unique as... Yeah, but it doesn't know when it's stopping and starting. That's what drives me crazy. Uh, I guess it just, it, it just takes a sample. Yeah, I guess so. And then just quickly matches that, that waveform. Yeah. I'm right. sure I could easily find out how it works, but I'm going to speculate because that's what we do. This. Exactly. <laughs> no. But now the Google glasses. What about the Google glasses? I you know the the Google glasses are fascinating to me, but the only thing that I can't get around is does that mean you're constantly going to have to like up and down and left? You're going to everyone's going to have fucked up necks from navigating with no, their be with their heads. Necks. <laughs> be like the people that milk cows. That'll be a new euphemism. Like I got, I got a Google neck. Fucking Google Next coming in here and looking at the internet with our goddamn glasses. Get out of here, you fucking Google Next. It's gonna be. We'll figure out a way to be racist against it somehow. Google Next. Google Next. I just think it's gonna be. uh, It's gonna be great. Well, we're at the end of our okay. uh, hour with you. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to promote? Yes, I'm starting a new podcast. Sunday School. Sunday School. Penn Sunday School. And you can go to pensundayschool.com. It's also on iTunes and everywhere else. Yeah. But it's Penn Sunday School. It's every Sunday. We do it live with about a thousand people. I was going to leave it at 666 for the number of people <laughs> in the congregation. But we have actually many more than that. We have like 2,700 or something that are there live so that we can read what they're saying and all the chat oh, and wow. all of that. And then it goes up. That's Sunday at noon, Vegas time. Mm-hmm. And then it goes up at about 5 o'clock p.m. Sunday as a podcast on iTunes and everything. And the great thing, and this has made me so happy, is you can go to pensundayschool.com or pensundayschool.com because I didn't know how I was going to tell people how many S's to put between Penn and Unday. So you can take your One pick. or two S's between Penn <laughs> and Unday. It's up to you. And we try to keep it, you know... Uh, it's a very, uh, very focused um, podcast. We try to talk about um, monkeys, God, and the Supreme Court. Okay. We try to keep <laughs> it with those, those three, three things because that's <laughs> They're all the same thing. When, when, when it all comes down, those are the three things I care about most. Yep. Monkeys, God, and the Supreme Court. And they weirdly all tie together. They certainly do in my heart. Yep. And what have we learned? If you have a choice between <laughs> stabbed and shot. being shot. You want to be shot. You want to shot. And it's ATM, not ATM machine. Sociopaths make the best performers. <laughs> and the best sex partners. <laughs> That's and right. I have a muscular ass. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Those are all the things we learned today. Oh, I love that. I, it's nice when we can actually learn stuff on the podcast. <laughs> we, all, we all walk away from here feeling much in the same way you did at a, sh- a little show in the late 1980s when you saw Dean Martin perform. Dean Martin is so good. 
Now I want to go back and watch every performance and study him. You're, you're going to go crazy. You're going to love it. You're going to just love it. You'll come back on again at some point, right? Why wouldn't I? I, I love like having you on. Like, we'll have him on in July when we're in Vegas. Okay. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come to Amazing Meeting. Or if, I, if I'm working, I'll send Matt. Like, some, one of us will be there. Or sure. all of us will be there. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good, good, good. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Good to see okay, you. Okay, thank you. Good to see you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. Go to the podcast page at Nerdist.com, just click through the Amazon banner and shop as you normally do to support the Nerdist Podcast. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. It's winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The GOAT. Stream free on Amazon Freeview or Prime Video. 